Hello and welcome to Demo Tapes, a weekly music podcast which hits rewind on the careers of some of the world's biggest bands to reminisce about their breakout moments. I'm Rick Martin and this, my co-pilot on this trip down memory lane, is Sarah Jane Kemp. Um, I think we've got, got over the fact that now that I'm not your co-pilot, I'm your co-host, Rick. Uh, so if you haven't listened to previous episodes, you can. We, I think we're always going to debate this, aren't we? What we are to each other. Um, what, you, what were we just talking about a minute ago? This is a Blur episode. So didn't you just say that I'm your Graham to Damon or the other way around? Would I mean, you rather not be Damon than Graham? It's a really hard one to decide. Who would you rather be? Well, Damon's more like the populist one. He's an, he's more the pop star, whereas Graham's the awkward one, um, who's kind of the musical genius behind it. So I think I am the Graham Coxon, and you're probably the Damon Albarn. I'll take it. I'll take it. But yes, uh, this is Rick Martin. Uh, for those who haven't listened before, Rick was a journalist at Enemy for 10 years. Um, he is a fact hunter and what I call the rain man of music. Yeah, you're not going to let this drop, are you? Never. I've, I've managed to remember never, never, a few never. things about, about He's got music. a crazy, crazy memory for facts. I mean, you, if you do listen to this podcast more than this this episode, you'll find out that I'm kind of the more emotive one. I've got stories about things rather than facts. Emotions. I'm, I'm the emotion one. I'm memories. the emotion one. Memories. Um, I'm not really, I don't remember facts. I've got a, re- a real bad memory, if I'm honest. So I'd have to have things meticulously written down in front of me. But Rick can remember things from... I don't know, like from from when you were about two years old, probably. I wouldn't be surprised. B sides and <laughs> early gigs and all that sort of nonsense. It's pretty useful when I forget something for Rick to go. Come on, Sarah. No, I've told you what this is before. Well, it's useful for this podcast, I think. <laughs> anyway, I think we should introduce you as well for listeners who okay, maybe haven't yeah. tuned in before. So this is Sarah Jane Kemp. She's a blogger. She's a bit of a blagger, um, and. I think we said this in one of the early podcasts, and it's probably worth revisiting, that if I was the kid in Almost Famous trying to get in through the backstage door, Sarah was the Penny Lane character who was kind of swanning in with the band. <laughs> there we go. That's that's us. But, um, yeah, so this week, we uh, I'm really excited about this one because, and I think we both are, actually, um, it's a band that is an institution in, in Britain and I think always has been since they first came onto the scene and always will be. Um, they're still as relevant today as they were 30 years ago but we'll talk about that in a little bit um i went out last week to interview dave uh, rantree who is the drummer from blur amazing interview really really loved it we talked for an hour and a half it kind of went went on and on and on because it was just kind of not there was no real place to stop until i thought you know, no I'm distance getting, left to run by no the end, was there? <laughs> left to run. no there was there probably we could have talked for hours but i was getting a bit hungry it's about three o'clock and i think i I'm, i was conscious that he hadn't eaten either i think well that's being a food blogger though isn't being it a food, i'm always thinking about my next meal um so as i'm asking questions i'm definitely thinking about food at the same time but yeah uh, so this one was it was blur um and, I, and, and i'm really excited about it but i think before we crack into the episode why don't we give the listeners a little bit of a flavor of what we've been up to over the last week yeah sure well you've started off your well we've both kind of taken a bit more of a step back into the the live music world haven't we i haven't been to i hadn't been to a gig for, for quite some time which shame on me for for that and i, I don't know if you're the same but I, I i kind of go through waves i'll have a couple of weeks where i go to quite a few gigs especially kind of in the autumn time when a lot of tours mm. crop up then I could go kind of a number of months without, which is weird when I think back to kind of my enemy music journalist days. We could go to three in one night, yeah, yeah, and, you yeah. know, and you could rack up maybe 10, 15 in a week. But uh, we are a bit older now, aren't we? We've got, we've got other things on. <laughs> it's, it's not as easy as when we <laughs> That's were That's why we do a music nostalgia and, podcast, Exactly, 18 and carefree. Um, we're not quite 18 and carefree anymore. So who did you go and see then? So I actually went to see a bit of a spanner in the works here, I don't know, a bit of a, a curveball. I went to see Rudimental and um, I, I love Rudimental. I think they're one of those bands that 
music music lovers like love to hate i think um for whatever reason that is uh, i think didn't you say you found them to be a drum and bass pop people who didn't really understand drum and bass which was yeah, you it's, it's like, it's like yeah said? well it's fisher price drum and bass isn't it <laughs> fisher price drum and bass. it's my first drum and bass <laughs> album rudimental yeah know. to be honest i never really i didn't really like drum and bass when i was growing up i wasn't really into the hardcore stuff but the reason i like rudimental and particularly the reason i like them live is because they put on a really good live show musically so they work with really talented musicians and really talented vocalists so kind of that's their big usp for live for their live shows and they bring on all sorts of different people who have who just kind of really strong vocally and I love vocalists um so and I love dance music so kind of the two combined are great and it was at Alexandra Palace and what a great venue to to kind of headline and, and sell out um because you get it's not too mental so you could kind of we stood a bit further back and we had mm. space to dance and bloody hell I did dance I jumped was jumping around by the end of it all over the place um I had too many Jaeger bombs I think but <laughs> hmm. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for rudimental the sort of band I shouldn't like because they're not particularly when I say credible I mean they are a credible act but I don't like yeah. as you mentioned for hardcore drum and bass people this is this is yeah. pretty simple stuff not that I ever was I used to go to some fairly sketchy things when I was at university involving drum and bass wouldn't have a clue what I was actually listening to because I mean it all pretty much sounds sound the same sounds the same no you <laughs> do know you're get getting old when, when you say that but yeah a couple of their tracks i guess are kind of um kind of guilty pleasures for me yeah no it was, it was actually um an album that i listened to i had I had a bit of a bad breakup i didn't want to mention it on here but maybe i should just should anyway i had a bad breakup and it was the time that rudimental's first album came out and it just a lot of the stuff resonated with me quite a lot on there so to be all soppy about it it was it, that album meant a lot to me. Even if, you, even if people don't admit it, they have albums like that. We yeah, of all course, do. of course. The even even my stone, which is weird. <laughs> even my stone cold heart probably has. Ah, oh, everyone's got one, which fact, might actually lead in. Yeah, but but before we do that, let I want to know what your breakup albums are. Let's do that. Maybe we should do get people's um, kind of thoughts on social media. And then you can we can maybe do a show on it at some point. Oh, we don't know, but maybe if there's enough kind of response about it, because as you say, everyone has one. But anyway, leads us on nicely to who Rick went to see. So yes, yeah, so I saw Beach House. Uh, it's about ten days ago now at the Troxy uh, in London, and uh, yeah, quite a big one for me, I guess, because I'd say over the last ten years, Beach House have probably been my pretty much my favourite band. I'd say Horrors are probably up there as well, and Deer Hunter. But I'd say probably in terms of just pure um, kind of consistency across albums and the way their sounds kind of developed in some ways and also stayed kind of reassuringly the same. Um, one of those bands I almost, I think I avoided going to see for the whole 10 years I've been a fan, even when, you know, getting in was easy with guest lists when I was on The Enemy and that sort of thing. Because I always wondered, could they really create kind of the atmosphere and emotion of those songs uh, live? And did they? Did you have a tear rolling down? No, there was there was not a tear rolling down. <laughs> I, was, I was teasing Rick before I went saying, oh, please don't. But oh, I wouldn't do cry. I mean, it would be great to come back to hear you coming back from a gig having cried at the gig. Boy, boys was, don't cry. Boys, oh no, are you, we are we are not getting into that conversation. They absolutely do, and they should. <laughs> but no, I, I thought they're absolutely brilliant. Um, and yeah, did kind of. Um, I think when you go to a gig with that level of expectation, you're almost. I'm almost because I'm a cynic. I'm ready to have them kind of deflated. There's been a mm -hmm. few bands I've been really into, then seen them live, and if it's not quite hit the mark of where it was, you almost wish you hadn't gone. Um, and yeah, I think what was particularly interesting was the new tracks off the the kind of latest album, Seven. Um, they're quite well, sort of textured sort of songs. There's lots of layers to them. And I did wonder, are these going to sound quite weak live? But um, they really kind of delivered on that. It's, I think it was probably a good venue for it as well, kind of a mm -hmm. mid-sized kind of theatre venue. Uh, so yeah, I was kind of kind of blown away. 
Awesome. Well, I mean, it's something that I think we should talk about moving forwards, who we've been to see and kind of keeping our fingers on the pulse of the live music scene. Um, I definitely want to get back into it more. But let's go back to Blur. Let's talk about... Yeah, let's kick into this week's Let's kick into it. So, uh, interestingly, I think we talked about when we first started this podcast that your first gig was Blur. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Uh, So it's 1999. uh, Memory, memory. Yeah, the Brighton (laughs) Centre. Uh, I could probably almost tell you the order of the set list, but only because... No, I, don't, I don't want to know that. No, but only because... Else wants to know that no, but there's a reason for that. That's because the set list was their singles in order up to that point. Okay. So you have to imagine this was 99, it was just after 13, so you can imagine it started with a pop scene and There's No Other Way, kind of then through the Britpop years, and yeah. then kind of weirdly, I think the last song was No Distance Left to Run, which uh, of the 13 album, which it's not exactly a rousing finale, but I think they were quite set on this was a singles tour, a singles collection, so therefore they did them in order yeah makes sense i mean i hope i guess the the um the major fans wouldn't have really cared about that because it's quite a nice concept isn't it to be to be doing that i think it's an interesting way of doing things mm. yeah um and, you know it keeps things fresh i guess mixed um, it up a bit and i think i think when i think about you know the idea of the of doing an episode on blur i think the 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 thing that, stri- that sort of stands out to me is this is one of the few bands that you and i actually really agree on um uh, not, yeah you know and i think as this series progresses there's going to be a couple of episodes where one of or both of us is going to kind of be doing uh talking about a band kind of through gritted teeth and this is definitely not one of those this this podcast is not about the bands that sarah and i both love kind of far from it it's 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 kind of a mixture of artists that we're into and and really interesting stories to tell but i think blur is definitely a band that we we, we, were, we were children of Britpop, weren't we? We grew exactly. up on this band. And I don't think there's many people, I've, uh, certainly I've ever spoken to anyway, that doesn't like Blur. Um, I mean, we've, we'll go on to the whole Blur and Oasis thing in, in a bit. And actually, I did talk to, yeah, no, inevitably, I did talk to Dave about it. But um, for me, I was, you know, I'm from the Midlands, so I could I could have been in either camp if I wanted to be. But there were two things to me. Um, I kind of really preferred the sound of Blur. And I think at the time, you know, I'm however old I am, I'm not going to say it on here, but at the time I was kind of old <laughs> enough to... <laughs> I'm 31! <laughs> Almost 32. Um, but I think at the time when they're, they're, they kind of kind of became popular was when they kind of took their move into a bit of the dancey, poppy kind of route. And to be honest, I, I think when I was a kid, I preferred that sound. Girls and boys kind of stuff. Girls and boys, yep. I've kind of written that down here. And I, and I love dance music. I still do to this day. Um, and I remember my best friend, uh, Kate, um, we're, the, we're the same age. You've got a lot of best are, friends that you mention on this podcast. I've got a lot of friends, Rick. Um, a lot that's of really a sore, good friends. That's a sore point for me. Yeah, yeah Rick hasn't. <laughs> he's only got about I'm, two friends. I'm trying to make one a few through his, this podcast. One, you know? one, one of his best friends is his mum, which is lovely. And <laughs> <laughs> you showed me a text from your mum last night, actually. And uh, we're, we're digressing massively, but I'm going to mention this. His mum texted him to say that he, he sounds really good on the podcast. And I just like melted my heart. It was very, very sweet. But anyway, one of my best friends when I was younger. So we were, our parents were best friends and we grew up together. So um, we were always at each other's houses. And, and when, in the days when MTV was constantly on day and night in our house and Blur used to be on all the time. And I remember it more. And when Damon used to come on the TV, Kate used to go up to the TV and kiss the screen, which I remember to this day. And, mm-hmm. and um, I always remember thinking, it's not real, Kate. Why are you actually kissing the TV? That's disgusting. Um, but that just kind of showed, even at that age, you know, our parents loved them generations just uh, lots of different generations love them and and i think it still remains today even the kind of younger people that i meet today know who they are for those songs that have kind of continued to be popular today 
I mean, I think it was a, almost a secret love for me early on because right. I very much got caught up in Manchester, the Oasis right? versus Blur thing. Yeah, so I, you know, when um, Definitely Maybe came out, I would have been eight. And then What's the Story, Morning Glory was the first sort of album I properly bought um, when I was whatever I was, nine, ten. No, I got it. I got it for Christmas, so I didn't buy it. It was bought by Father Christmas. And, um, I, you know, there were City fans as well as I was at the same time. That's when I was kind of growing up into being a, a Manchester City fan. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of had this belief that you had to be one or the other. You couldn't be a Blur fan if you're an Oasis fan, especially if you're an Oasis fan from Manchester. And I think we've talked about this before. This was not that if you were to play Blur in your house that your neighbours would hear it and then burn your house down. <laughs> it wasn't quite as tribal as that. It was probably almost a, a psychological thing. And I can still remember when I kind of finally cracked and bought um, a Blur album. It was 13 in 99, so not long before I actually went to see them live. Mm-hmm. I earned the money to buy the CD because our next door neighbor was redoing his driveway and he needed someone to come and stir the cement. Oh my God. And he paid me, I think it was 10 or 15 pounds. I very nearly didn't go and buy the album because when I came home and said, hey, mum and dad, look, I've earned 15 quid from stirring some concrete for next door. Being northerners who are embarrassed about money, they said, said, well, go and give it him back. (gasps) They were almost embarrassed that someone had given their kid money. So so I then went to try and give it back and he insisted, keep the money. So I thought, well, I better... So you almost didn't have this album. I better go and launder this money into a CD. (laughs) So I went... Don't tell me you knew what money laundering was at that age. (laughs) So I went into town and uh, and, yeah, and bought bought 13. I think mainly because I was really into coffee and TV. Yeah. um, And tender and all all that kind of side of things. I mean, it's a good album. But secretly, I think I'd always been a bit bit of a a Blur fan. But what what do you think was the Blur track that that really got you into, into the band? There's a, the, it's, it's a hard one because there's so many different sounds that Blur have had. And the one that kind of goes through my head, so I've got a bit of a problem. <laughs> I think I will call to it a problem. To put it mildly, yeah. When I'm, I've got a few. When I'm going to sleep at night, um, I, I, I can't get certain things out of my head. Songs. So I'll end up having a, um, particular songs on loop and I cannot get rid of them. And Tracy Jacks is one of those songs. <laughs> <laughs> that could drive someone mad. <laughs> no, but it's just such a... This explains I don't a know, lot. Do, do, just everything from like the bass line to the little guitar riffs to Damon's... Go- do you know, Damon's singing. If anyone hasn't heard this song and doesn't know what it's about, it's about a man that's a bit disillusioned with life. You know, he's getting to 40 works in the city he's got a good job but he kind of wants to die he's just over it um that's and, kind of a common theme in part life isn't it yeah, well yes i know and then another one i've got is that well no I, I don't think it was this one wasn't um part life was it clover over dover yeah another song about depre- depression and um and just kind of someone being a bit you know just a bit flat but they've turned it into something you know Tr- tracy jacks is very upbeat and i think that's part of the reason i like it because i like i prefer upbeat songs to mm. But then again, we've got, you know, This Is A Low, one of the most incredible, weirdly, um, I used to listen to to it when I was training for the London Marathon. I used to listen to that when I was running. Um, And I think the fact that it wasn't upbeat didn't help, but the fact that it just kind of, it's emotional and it it gets you you thinking and the way that they've managed to do it lyrically and musically, I just find it good. Oh, there's just so more. Girls and Boys, Ice Cream Man, and I I thought I was a spaceman from um, The Magic Whip, which is their newest album. Are both songs that again I, I could listen to when I'm running and just and and have a great time in my head, party in my head for one. <laughs> I think what's interesting about Blur, um, and I've heard this said before, but I always quite liked it, and I think some musos may roll their eyes when they hear this, but the, they are kind of the modern day Beatles in the way that if you think about the sound they had when they emerged and then kind of how it evolved over the years, and also the fact that they're 
kind of four very distinct kind of um, personalities. I guess for me, I started with 13 and then kind of worked backwards. So I went from 13 back through to Part Life, which would be an obvious place, I think, to go because that was kind of their biggest album at that point. Um, and then, you know, gr- The Great Escape, Blur, where, as in the self-titled Blur, where mm. it was kind of Britpop was over. The, song 2 was kind of their big breakthrough in the US that came off that album and they were kind of more influenced by kind of US grunge. And then I think kind of where I went after that was then right back to the start. I think maybe until maybe 10 years ago, I had a bit of a blind spot on Leisure and Modern Life is Rubbish because they'd kind of come before um, I was really a music fan, you know, the really kind of uh, early 90s. And I think, um, you know, what's really interesting, and maybe this leads kind of neatly on into the interview with Dave, is I had a bit of a blind spot on some of their early days. You know, I myself have interviewed a couple of members of the band, but I'd had a bit of a blind spot on how the band emerged and some of that story. So I think it was really interesting that you spoke to Dave about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you think about it, um, so the first thing we spoke about was, um, we, we thought, uh, wrongly I think actually it was, that it was 30 years this month that they formed, when actually it's probably 30 years next year as you'll hear in the interview. But um, if you got, if you think about it, I'm 31, you're 32. We were we were just about, well, I was, it was, you know. Crawling. Crawling. Maybe, maybe, just crawling. Maybe you know, gliding. Not even, not What's even the crawling. Between crawling and walking. Not even kind of speaking. We weren't yeah. able to speak at this point. Never mind, you know, we probably listened to things subconsciously. But, um, so that's probably why. So it's actually really interesting for me as someone who grew up with the band, um, and I think everybody in the UK did. Uh, then they went away, they came back, and we'll get into you know their, their newest um, kind of tour and album and why that was important to us. But it was quite surreal to be sat there with someone who started his career before I was even a twinkle in my parents' eyes. Well, you were out of nappies. <laughs> way before I was out of nappies um, but yeah no, I also I've just realised Rick that I kind of got my fact wrong in Tracy Jacks then I, it's, it's not the guy that um, jumped off a cliff because that's Quaver over Dover um, but this guy had a nervous breakdown and he got arrested by the police and it just made me giggle when I actually kind of realised the lyrics of that song we're just going back to that because I was wrong so yeah sorry sometimes I'm wrong that's what I mean my fact head is bad so this is probably a good time to kind of pause and, and play in the interview with Dave now that we're kind of getting into those conversations about the early stages of Blur who better than someone who was there for for all of it (laughs) to talk us through it but I guess just kind of um just set the scene how did this come about and where did you do the interview and how was he I guess yeah yeah um so I'd actually uh, met Dave a few years ago at another event where he was talking about um the music industry and how the kind of music streaming sites um had have are having an effect on the industry um and I just remembered being kind of really interested in what he was saying then and his he's a very um i don't think he's not the the the, the one that does all the interviews normally so, so you'd, you'd normally see kind of damon or, or graham or alex um but dave is such a like a brilliant character um he's got a brilliant sense of humor quite dry um which definitely comes across in this interview, I think, and just really engaging to talk to. And you just, we, we talked for an hour and a half. I mean, that's how much we had to say. And I think we could have gone on. Um, mm, mm. But we talked about everything from not just the music and the beginning sides of Blur. Um, we talked about his kind of life, you know, I think when he got to 40, he suddenly thought he'd wasted his life, which is crazy when you think, um, when you think that. And he said, um, that's when he's kind of made his foray into being a solicitor and kind of got more into politics and things like that. Um, but uh, it was it was really really interesting to to kind of hear him talk. I don't think we're going to keep all of it. We can't we can't keep an hour and a half. Be, yeah, be, in, being so realistic, you being can't. Really, put an we hour we hour can't. Half, no, yeah. we can't. Um, but what I really liked is him. I asked him what their kind of objective was when they started the band, and he went, "Well, 
I wanted to become a star. And um, mm. he thought that would make him happy. He thought that being on top of the pops would make him happy. And he got that and he wasn't happy. It was always like, what's next? And I, I really find that interesting because I think you can relate that to lots of other industries and people. I think if you're a, I call it the curse of the ambitious, you know, once you've got one thing, you always want the next thing. Are you ever going to be truly happy? But I think the reason why all of them went off to pursue their other things whilst kind of keeping an eye on the fact that Blur might never go away has made them happy, has kind of made, you know, the other interests that like you've got. Um, Alex doing his cheese, you've got Damon mm, doing kind of yeah. a couple of other side projects, you've got Dave doing all sorts of different things and Graham doing his own kind of music as well. I think they needed that to be able to continue to do Blur and make Blur still relevant and still good and I think that they will carry on doing I, I, he didn't say I, you know I think in every interview every journalist who interviews the blur will always ask that question what's next mm. are you going to reform well, let, well, let's, reform, but, well let's not spoil what he says then no let's, let's no, no, no definitely not so just just to say before we go into this I just wanted to say there may be some background music in the background that's because it was recorded in a hotel um, yeah, yeah. We are going to do our best. We are doing our best to scrub that music out in the background, but you may get some faint hints of Motown. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a very Tom Jones at Tom one Jones, point. Yeah. I had to stop myself from laughing. It's not unusual. Oh, sorry, it's brilliant. But um, yeah, uh, sorry about that. Um, being a new podcast and all, we are we're trying our hardest to um, to to do to do our best. And you know, maybe one day we won't have the music in the background. But I think it adds to it. We, can, we can't quite afford the hotel suites yet. Can't can afford we? the hotel no. suites yet. So, uh, but watch this space. Hopefully, within the next few episodes, we'll be able to do something different. So without further ado, yeah, here's uh, Dave Roundtree talking to Sarah um, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sat here in the Mondrian Hotel, uh, which is a lovely hotel on the South Bank, uh, overlooking the river. And today I'm joined by Dave Roundtree from Blur. Hi, Dave. Hi. Yeah. Uh, How are you doing? Good. Very good. What have you uh, What have you been up to this morning? I, it's one of those days where I'm going from meeting to meeting to meeting, kind of screaming around London. Each one is five minutes late, so by the time of the last meeting, you're an hour late. Oh dear. It's full of fulsome apologies. Well, you weren't late for me, so thank you, thank you for that. That's that's good to know. I, I don't want to make you late for your next one either, so we'll try and <laughs> we'll try and talk quickly, okay. not too quickly, because we want everyone to be able to hear what you say. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to come and see me today. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you a few questions, really, about obviously the the concept of demo tapes is. We're looking back and kind of celebrating uh, breakout moments of bands, um, kind of from from any period really. Uh, we've already had a few on, um, but you know, Blur being a kind of British institution was was something that was, both of us were really keen to visit. Um, and also, I don't know if this is right or wrong. I think you, you might tell me it's wrong, but we seem to think that Blur formed 30 years ago this month. Is that right or wrong? <laughs> well, I suppose it depends when you count the forming of Blur, really. They'd been uh, Damon and Graham had played together since they were school kids, and Graham and I had played together since we were teenagers. I start. I was Graham and I, uh, Damon and I, I suppose, were the first two proto in the proto Blur band. Graham joined six months later, and then I joined maybe six months later again. So and which which one was the name? The, 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 was that? Circus was it or Sumo? Oh, that we had a different name every week, like young <laughs> bands do. Uh, we never released anything, so there's no, you know, none of the names mean anything. Um, but the first gig was when we usually start uh, counting the history of the band from, was in 1980, 
nine, I think. Right, okay, so 30 years next year. Yeah, that's what I would say, but I mean, who knows? I'm sure every day is an anniversary of something, you know, the <laughs> first day Damon sneezed in front of me or something. Let's count that as Can today. you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was actually today. That was actually today, ago. 30 years ago. Oh, Great. so well. Heard it so here well. first. <laughs> First, Damon's first sneeze in front of Dave. Brilliant. Have you got a photo or like a sound, a sound snippet or something? If only, because that would that would be worth real money. <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? So, what was the first? Um, were you guys any good when you first started? I mean, you've probably you've had thirty years to practice, so I, I yeah. hope you <laughs> I like to think you're probably better now than you were thirty years ago. But is that the case? Well, we could all play, absolutely. But um, Damon had. Damon had spent his uh, formative years, though, concentrating on songwriting, whereas the rest of us had spent our formative years practicing our instruments and chatting up girls. <laughs> I'm not saying Damon hadn't chatted up girls, but he was—he had rather than uh, rather than concentrate on being brilliant at his instrument, he'd concentrate on writing songs. And very few people had done that. Okay. Very few people still do that, and so that was immediately obvious when I, I sat down to play with Damon for the first time, when I heard Damon play for the first time, actually Graham took me along to one of his gigs in Colchester, it was immediately obvious he was doing something very different to what everybody else I knew was doing, mm -hmm. who were kind of being good at their instrument first and then, you know, knocking out some songs, but uh, the songs were there to kind of show off what they'd learnt this week on their instrument. Yeah. Well, isn't that where, where someone can actually kind of make their money and sustain a career in music is by being creative and creating their own content, essentially. I guess you could relate that to lots of different industries, really. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly now with all the changes that have gone on in the last 30 years that songwriting is the only thing that's worth any money now in the music industry. And to some extent it was then, you know. I mean, no matter how good you are, there's always a better drummer, a better guitarist, a better bass player. And it's not the best drummer, guitarist and bass player that go on to be in the biggest bands. Mm. Never was, never is. I mean, don't tell you that. You know, your music teacher won't tell you that, but that's the reality. Very, very it's true. the people that uh, write the best songs. And you, you don't need to, you know, it helps if you're great at playing your instrument. You don't need to be. No. You know, the three chords turn it up and make the words be about something. It's a, <laughs> a famous uh, quote about how to be successful in the music industry. That's it, really. Most pop songs. You can play them with three chords. Most drum drummers go do 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 you know, in kind of in the guitar bands. If you can do that reliably, no one's going to criticise you if you can't go. Very true. In fact, they'll be relieved if you can't do that. Usually. Well, we had a we actually did a our last episode um, was about new, the new rave culture and the new rave scene back about ten years ago, and we actually talked about how a lot of the bands um, in that scene didn't really know how to play their instruments but there was a time and a place for it and the music might not have been great I mean it, it, but, but it was there was a time and a place for it so you, you, you know I guess you're right but it, I guess in the sense of a band as well you need more than just the music and just the songs you need to have some kind of something else another charisma as well and you need to work well together so I think I think you're right yeah well, the, the, I think the most important thing is chemistry as in with any relationship and you know it wasn't we, we were a, a struggling band would probably still be a struggling band now had not the four of us found each other mm. and it wasn't until Alex joined which probably was in 1989 that things or 1988 
things were immediately much, much better. He brought the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle. I was literally just about to say he brought the final yeah. piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And it was entirely a chemistry thing, you know, it wasn't like he brought some kind of special musicianship that completed the three of ours' musicianship. It just doesn't work like that. It was part it was a relationship. He had a he there was, he had something about him that fitted in very well with the things that we had about us and it was immediately better, much better. And uh, within months of uh, Alex joining, we were signed. Mm, amazing. How yeah. does it feel to be sat here, I mean, 30, 29, 30, however you want to think of it, um, 30 years later and, you know, you just started off with a group of mates, you all had a... What was your goal? Was your goal to be here today, 30 years later, or, or was it just you wanted to have a bit of fun? And I know you're, you're all very, very ambitious people, weren't you? And yeah. But what was that ambition for? Well, I wanted to be a star, absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to be well, a you made it. huge, <laughs> big, famous, top-of-the-pops kind of number one in the charts. That's what I wanted. That's what we all wanted. And there, and there we go. Yeah, what, how I did guess. you feel when so you got that, that, then? Can I actually say that for Graham? I'm not sure that was what Graham wanted, So, but I'll just talk about myself. I, yeah, just talk about yeah. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite subject. Um, but yeah, that's what I wanted. I, I was uh, quite unhappy as a youngster. I came from a uh, dysfunctional family, as many musicians do. Yeah. And I somehow got it into my head that if only I could be a huge star... It would solve everything. I could finally relax and be happy. Was if that the case? Would, if only everyone would scream and throw their knickers at me. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you are quite but, far uh, back in the stage, know, so maybe God, they you know, maybe they just haven't quite reached you. They've got arms. <laughs> Throw harder. Not as long as I mean, I'd be alright because my arms are quite long. But I mean, the gen general person might might struggle a little bit. Yes. Um, well, the general person shouldn't come to the shows. I only want the women with long arms. Maybe they should get those little dog dog throwing the ball throwing things and put the knickers in there well, and actually an sling idea, them at you. you. See? Innovation, inventiveness. <laughs> that's what we need. You heard it here first, actually. I mean, I might, I might copyright that you idea. You could sell those at outside gigs. Oh, <laughs> like, only for you, though. Drummer nicker throwers. <laughs> only, only for the drummers. Oh, brilliant. But anyway, no, Blair did, did it work, you asked? No, clearly. That no. turned out to be a complete load of balls. But I, <laughs> I'm not the, I'm not the only musician that was motivated by that. You know, I've spoken to... I've spoken to a lot of other musicians, including some big names, and people have said some similar things back to me. It's the the enduring myth, isn't it, that uh, that success somehow solves problems for you, other than the uh, you, you're not successful problem. Oh yeah, it, it, it's, it's called uh, I call it blue tick syndrome. So it's it's so if you want the blue tick on Instagram, but when you get it. Yeah. What next? It's yeah. like it was always like you know, if you if you look at a lot of the top CEOs in businesses, I bet if you ask them the same question, they'd have the yes. same answer. Oh, are you happy? Oh, no. Yeah. Where next? <laughs> what can you possibly do next? Yes. Well, that's that's the problem, isn't it? It's kind of uh, well, the problem for me was when I found out that it didn't, the blue tick didn't tick the box. <laughs> I had no plan B. You know, I was like, I I. Uh, I, I don't know how much of this I've, uh, I've strung together after the fact, but I certainly remember, you know, the early days thinking, God, if we could just get signed, you know, if the bank could just get signed, I would just be happy then, you know, that I would just be happy with that, so we get signed. Well, obviously, we have to release some records, you yeah. know, so if we could just get a single out, you know, then it wouldn't matter, I could kind of retire happy. 
the single goes out. But obviously that's a chart, you know, <laughs> that's a chart. Okay, well that's a chart. And an album, yeah. you, know, you know. Well, obviously Top of the Pops. God, is it, is it so obvious that that's going to work? Well, obviously playing, you know, Wembley Arena. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then thinking, world domination. What the, <laughs> well, if that doesn't work, what's going to work? Because I still, you know... I still got all this stuff left over from when I was a kid. It don't seem to be going anywhere. What's going to work? And the, the what's going to work question was one that came to haunt me, you know. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> it's a, another thing I call it is the curse of the ambitious. It's, you know, being ambitious is great because you actually do get places, but then it's, yeah. it's a, it can be a bit of a curse sometimes because you're never truly happy with what you've got, <laughs> I guess. Well, it, I don't know if there are... See, I never was... A kind of entrepreneur you know and I've tried it I've tried setting up and running a company and the reality is the entrepreneur is the one that when all the uh, employees are doing all this fun creative stuff the entrepreneur is the one in the office doing the invoicing ringing the suppliers trying to get deals you know and uh, unless you're kind of a you know an entrepreneur working for yourself anything kind of bigger than that you get relegated to do all the boring jobs and the stressful ones and the ones that aren't really very enjoyable and everybody else gets to do all the fun stuff yeah you don't want that so too. no so i'm not really an entrepreneur i found out um so, but going, going back to um to music um i'm sort of looking over the last 30 years what was your do you have a favorite period um of the of the time and of your time in blur or or was it all as good as each other and you must have some good stories from from the 90s in particular because that was a kind of time a hedonistic time for everybody not just not just you guys it was a pretty cool time to be in the music industry yeah i guess there were the weird thing about it was though because being in a band is quite an inward looking thing strangely and you're on we were on our own for much of the time, you know. In the studio, it's just us and the producer. You get taxis to and from the studios. You're at the studio, you're at the house. The days are long. You don't get to see what's going on in the outside world. And then on tour, especially after we got successful, it was very, the temptation for those around you is to mollycoddle you something ridiculous because, you know, there's 10,000 tickets sold and you're on stage at seven o'clock. Yeah. You know, or midnight, more likely in yeah, Europe. Yeah, yeah. So, what? Everything's got to be Just arranged right. so that you're on stage at seven o'clock. You know, <laughs> nothing else really matters. Everything will just get sorted out because you, you're on stage at seven o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and were you, f were you fully aware of that, or were, or not? Was it? Well, you you relax into it surprisingly quickly. I've got to say, right. I, mean, I hate being fussed over and looked after. Yeah. Until it actually until happens. happens, and then it's like, oh, that's nice. I can Ooh, live yes. like this forever. Yeah. Can you just wake me up in the morning? Yeah, with a cup of coffee. Yeah, lovely. So oh, nice. you, you relax that. into you relax <laughs> into that very quickly, and uh, and you become a bit like a child. You know that kind of when you're you're with children, they kind of stand there and wait for somebody to tell them what to do, yeah. and then you see that transition into adult when they suddenly start going. Well, shall I help with the washing up rather than standing there until someone's like else? And yet, 
in a, in, a, in a touring band, you kind of revert back to the childhood way of doing things, the standing there and yeah. waiting for the tour manager to tell you what you're doing next. It's funny you say that. My friend um, is a tour manager of, of uh, I'm not going to say who they are, um, because he, he says they are like children. He says, yeah. That's almost it, any it, band, He I'm said, sure. it's like I am a full-time <laughs> babysitter for grown children in their whatever age they are, um, yeah. which I found quite hilarious. And, I, and I've, I've witnessed it as well with, with him and them, him being on tour with them and I've witnessed it and been like I don't know how you do it I mean it's a hats off to tour managers because it's not an easy job (laughs) it's not an easy job but uh, and it you can't wholly blame the bands for that because it's it is I love how you're saying that it is of course you can't (laughs) but the fact that it happens to every band you know if it was just one or two bands that behave like you know let's say behave like children uh, you know you do revert to that kind of uh, that kind of mentality, right? Somebody tell me what's happening now. Somebody, you know, looking around. Somebody else is in charge. I'm not in charge. Yeah, yeah. You do, res- and every band does it, and they do it for that reason. It's in everybody's interest for that to be the case. It's in nobody's interest for the band to be in charge when there's a tour going on because yeah, the band yeah. are weird and unpredictable. The band have been out last night. You know, the band have. Uh, the band have got up in a bad mood. The band <laughs> had a bad experience with this journalist before. Nobody wants any of that yeah, to be yeah, ruling yeah. the day. Yeah. Everybody wants a grown-up to be in charge. <laughs> so, Fair enough. So uh, every single touring band that I've ever met are in this situation where the tour manager is the grown-up and they, re- they, they revert to being children and they moan, oh, God, do we have to do this? Do we have to be going out again? <laughs> you know... It's not, you don't really get any sense of how other, of the kind of uh, growth and development of your band in the national consciousness, you know what I mean? Mm. So to us it seemed like uh, we things were moving very slowly and then kind of leapt forward bizarrely in, uh, in ways that we didn't really understand because <laughs> we didn't, you don't get any sense of this kind of momentum growing outside the... Yeah. It was you Outside are the band. just in a little bubble, aren't you? Completely in a little bubble. Absolutely, yes. And, uh, you know, we were in the early days of a band. You, it's 365 days a year. What do you think is the most kind of out there thing you did over the years? Oh, I don't know. You know, we were, we're not, I'm not saying we were out there. We did, we did little, little more than break minor taboos, really. I mean, the most out there thing we did was take kind of indie music which at the time we started had its own chart it was so unsuccessful you know it had its own chart because otherwise nobody would ever have heard of these bands you know kind of chapter house and slow dive and all these bands that were you know selling a thousand records when when the people at the top main chart were selling a million records plus so uh we somehow and i'm still not entirely sure how i think just with the with the good songs that we were writing took that indie music and made it into a mainstream thing you know kind of changed the changed what people viewed as chart music yeah from when uh, do you think you did which song in particular do well you it was the when, part when life album really yeah, yeah, yeah. that uh, and the success of the brits the spat with oasis oh the, you've brought that up of, <laughs> yeah well that was all part of it yeah 
PR? Was it all PR? Or was it was it re- how real was it? I was actually going to bring it up because I, I thought you know it's been talked to, talked about to death. Um, but I think yeah. it's probably bad luck if it doesn't come up in an interview with you, surely for for either me or you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, well, it's hard to talk about the history of the band without talking about that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. For both of our bands, really, and that that was it was a it was an interesting idea. And we what we learned from fairly fairly soon after we we signed to our label which was Food Records that was the one with Dave Balfe and uh, Andy Ross who was a music journalist at the time they were the two people that ran it and they were they were always keen on um, coming up with the new new ideas new and interesting ways of doing things that had been done in slightly less interesting ways before so every photo session there was was a concept somehow or other Mm. you know every interview they were constantly nagging us to come up with interesting things to talk about, not to, you know, because otherwise they'd degenerate into, oh, why did you choose that producer? What was it like working <laughs> in this studio? There was nobody wants to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that we'd always managed to get as column inches and was kind of fitted in with the, our personalities, especially Damon's personality at the time, is we'd always picked on another band to sort of kick against, you know, and the, there's nothing that the press liked more in the 90s than one band slagging off another band mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's kind of we're all a bit polite to do that these days but anyway most of the bands we would, who we would uh, kick against would kind of run off screaming cower in the corner and hide not Oasis but we came up we met our match at Oasis who were just as interested in having, having a having a slanging match as we were and actually especially Noel was a lovely guy you know, I'd I'd met him. I'd met him. I, I, my, I was married at the time. My wife worked at Creation Records. who was their record label, so I okay. kind of vaguely knew them. Yeah, yeah. And I had a bit of a laugh with Liam one night um, about it all. But uh, at the time, it was going time, on. So at the yeah. time, you were meant to be rivals. You yeah, well, you we definitely were... were rivals in the sense that um, I think uh, Damon and Alex really got under their skin. Because they were right. they were uh, very forthcoming with their uh, <laughs> with their one-liners, and I think Oasis had never really met anybody who wouldn't you know just cower in the face of their sort of Mancunian yeah, yeah, onslaught, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So, but it also it worked well because it was south and north. Like it did actually. It was just kind of a bit of a perfect. Yes, well, every, really, pretty much it? every conceit you, about uh, British life you wanted to come up with, you could somehow find mirrored in this kind of battle of the band. You could, yeah. And it went on for years. It's still going. I mean, st- people still oh, talk no. about it. It's not still well, going. Well, it's still but going people... in, the minds of, uh, in the minds of journalists, and it's still going in the minds of some fans. You know, some, some people still go, now, I, I hope this isn't going to annoy you, but I just want to talk to you about the Oasis thing. So, okay, if you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's like the, it started and ended in 1995, you know what I mean? <laughs> if I was still sore, <laughs> still sore about something that happened in 1995, I'd be a real weirdo. You were, well, maybe you right, are. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you're just, pre- <laughs> you know, presenting a little uh, a veil over it. But, but no. I, you know, Damon is... Damon's been on tour with Noel, hasn't he? Like, can you imagine if that if it was still like a sore topic? 
they, 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 they have to avoid each other backstage and the drinks afterwards they're, they're like I yes. can't even separate tour bus yeah yeah keep me away from this man um, but you know I think it, you, you're right it did kind of make it, it made both of the bands at the yes. time and it's going it's already gone down in history books and people will probably be talking about it for years to come so yeah but t- the, the upside was it pushed us both we were both kind of moderately successful but not in the big leagues and it pushed us both to the bottom rung of the top ladder in kind of music industry success terms so you know suddenly we were we were all playing we were both playing much bigger gigs so we on the day that the the singles were the competing singles were released it was the lead story on all the main tv channels it was front page of newspapers It was a big deal, and it wasn't a slow news week. There was proper, there was actual <laughs> news happening, you know. But still, it kind of caught the public's imagination. So we should have won an award for that, really. Well, you, you still know, could. That L- was a lifetime. kind of PR gambit. But it, you know, it was based on the real underlying animosity between uh, between certainly between Alex and Damon and Liam and Noel. Because you know they kind of, to some extent, met their match. Yeah. I yeah. think, and they both resented it. So, uh, but we did come up with some great lines, some which I still smile about <laughs> this day. <laughs> but uh, so nice, and there we are. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I'd love to hopefully one day speak to one of those guys and ask them as well, see what they say about it. But it kind of it also stapled us at the hip. So now it blur and oasis, and now I think we're like twins. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Not identical twins, but you know the twins are kind of striking by the differences. Your twins. Your, you've got uh, eyebrows to meet in the middle. You don't. You don't like twins. <laughs> oh, who are you saying has eyebrows to meet in the middle? Hey. <laughs> so uh, it kind of stapled us at the hip in a way that was kind of unhelpful, as well as being an incredibly helpful, you know boost to the publicity for both bands and people love it love it as well even to this day you'd ask someone are you blur on oasis you know and everyone's got an answer you know regardless i'm from nottingham so i'm from the midlands so i could be i could be i could like either to be honest yeah. um, but you know if you're from the south you can't say oasis or if well, you're from the people, north you can't say blur the reality was most people like both bands and uh, the idea course, that you had to pick a side was bands. ridiculous <laughs> and you know on the on the day when the the a lot of uh, TV crews went out to uh, their local record shop and asked people on the way out, which which record did you buy, Blur or Oasis? And well, they struggled to find people that didn't say, well, I bought both. I bought really, did they? Yes. So, you know, it was a difficult day for them rather than an easy day for them. <laughs> Damn it. That's so a slow news day. <laughs> <laughs> them into a slow news day um but yeah well going back to the, the, when you were doing the magic whip you, you went on tour you did a, a global tour how was it going from being a solicitor and sitting at a desk and being in the courts to going back on tour again was it was it a bit of awakening or was did you miss it or had you realized you'd missed it and you know what was it like oh i definitely missed it i met miss performing you know the, that's kind of still now that's the because I only really these days perform with Blur. That's something I've got to address. Because uh, you know, that's a real big part of my life performing. Mm. And it's some, to some extent, you get that out of your, in, you know, out of your system in court. You stand up and be very dramatic. But uh, you know, I do miss going performing, playing music. So um, it was that was nice, and it it was the Magic Whip wasn't the first tour back. You know, that was the that was the last tour we did. But we'd actually three or four tours. The first one 
we just kind of dipped our toe in the water with all this one big gig, the Hyde Park show. Yeah. I think it was the beginning of this British summertime series of mm-hmm. concerts, and they said, "Well, you want to headline the the first series of concerts?" And we said, oh, "That's an interesting Hyde Park kind of uh, be an interesting sort of uh, two fingers up at the people that said, you know, we were." dead and buried yeah, yeah yeah actually i went to that i was i was at that it was brilliant because i think people 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 loved it you've been away for it yeah. so long and people you know people yes. the younger generations as well who might not have been there around the first time yeah were, were also going this band's awesome yeah the guy from eastenders coming on stage and singing along and everyone was going oh that's that guy from EastEnders." all the younger people anyway <laughs> you might not why seen... presumably he was no, wandering they, on no, stage they had no they? idea they're like <laughs> This is odd. What's going on? All the older people are going. Yeah, something yeah, from Casualty Wanderer. Yeah. But a bit. But it was. It was. It was still relevant, I guess, at that time. Because. Uh, yeah. but, but it was fun. But um, I know you. You. You like the. You know. You love the live music playing. Yeah. And it's your. You know. You don't have any other. As you said, something might need to address to have any other side projects. Where it's kind of Damon's doing his thing um, with Good, Bad, and the Queen. They've got that out. Yeah. This week, I think. I is think it? so. Um, but do you not think? And we'll, we'll touch on this briefly. But um, Brexit is is, is imminent. Um, I know yeah. you kind of been um, kind of. We know what we know what you think about that. They yeah. put it that way. We do. But I've made think, no secret of that. No, you know it. Listen, and you, as you shouldn't. Um, but do you not think that Britain needs Blur? Sort of Brexit. Britain needs Blur back um, to kind of talk about all of the. You know, just being that such a British band and talking. You know, being able to talk about all the things you talked about in your songs. Like, will it happen? Basically, I think everyone would want to know. Like, I remember reading Damon earlier said this year that he's he would never not say that they're not go- getting back getting back together. But you're not really apart, are you? But no, no, we've just uh, we've just changed the way we work. So you know, it's no longer a full time. It's no longer the yeah. I don't know how you would describe it. Basically, <laughs> when. The whole th- we got back together really because Graham bumped into Damon in the uh, Camden, oh, really? and uh, went out to have a cup of tea, and discovered they actually really loved each other still, you know. Oh, and uh, that's adorable. It was like one of those I do the show right here in the yard kind <laughs> of things. So, uh, um, and so the main it was it was painful being apart from Graham because you know we were really good friends. And so we thought it's one of the few sane ideas as a band we've ever had. Why don't we make the main thing then being us staying friends? Yeah. That will be the focus of it all and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. And if that means we make music together, we make music and if it means we don't, then we don't. And we'll just concentrate on having a good relationship with each other. It's very mature. And that's worked out quite well actually because we all like each other now. Yeah, and that's probably why you're yeah. still together and yeah. well su- successful I guess in your in your own right because yeah. because you put some you put friendship first before anything else and we're all very supportive now of each other's things we all turn out to each other's opening nights and we all uh, you know we're all very happy for each other's success in all the various undertakings we're doing and so and it you know we've say we dipped a toe in the water then after after that well first of all we are just a, got in a room and played together because it wasn't clear that it had been some years since we played together it wasn't clear that that was going to work and funnily enough there was uh, the police at a similar time had had, uh, decided to try and dip their toe in the water and do a few shows and 
they finished their tour and so Stuart Copeland, the drummer, was interviewed on Radio 4. Mm. And this was on the morning of the first rehearsal where we just decided to go for it and booked Hyde Park. Yeah. Which is 80,000, it was 100,000 people I think then, or 80,000 like people. <laughs> and we'd sold the tickets in, in, uh, in under a minute, it was 80,000 tickets. No way, wow, I didn't yeah. know that. It wow. was like, the fu- it was, they put it up, tickets Gone. went, yeah, within a, a small number of seconds. I was going to tell you something, hasn't it? The thi- so, I was like, oh, we can't, we can't back out of that, because, <laughs> you know, you, can, you put them up and a bit, you can always, you know, the drummer can always break his arm and, oh no, oh, we can't do this right, show. Is that what happens? Yeah, hey? oh no, yeah, no, you, you sprain your wrist and suddenly you have to wear a bandage for two weeks. I've, <laughs> I've seen it done, lesser bands, no, 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 God, no, but... Uh, that all of that's open to you if you're terrified about you know will, will there be any appetite for the band you know you sell five tickets the drummer, drummer strains his wrist and off you go so uh, no one will ever know <laughs> no one will ever guess that that's what's going on so uh, but all the tickets had gone and so we had to kind of hastily book a warm-up tour because you can't just go straight from nothing to playing uh, in front of 80,000 people and then booked a string of rehearsals weeks of rehearsals it's like even know it's going to work. So day one, I got up in the morning, and there's Stuart Copeland being interviewed on the on the Radio Four mm-hmm. after the last headline show of their tour, saying, well, "I'm glad we did it, you know." But the reality was, it's been some years since we played together, and it's like a kind of jigsaw puzzle, uh, which you put away, but all the pieces have warped, <laughs> so you get it out again. Oh, no. And it doesn't, and really, it doesn't fit back together again. So yeah, we were doing it again. It didn't really work. So you were that never, like that never occurred to me that that was going to, you know, I, I just I sail on through life assuming everything's going to work out, you know, because most ninety nine percent of the time things do work out. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, Christ, I thought if that's I'm absolutely fucked if that's true. <laughs> what are we going to do? So I walked into that first rehearsal petrified. Did oh, you? Oh no! Christ. But uh, within within kind of. 20 minutes it was like we were back to as if we just you know Never had the weekend the off and uh, all the good. old magic started to flow again between the four of us and all the old chemistry started to happen again yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like oh thank god okay. and in fact by that evening we probably could have gone on stage at, at uh, we didn't. We, we booked weeks of rehearsals. We oh, didn't, really? We didn't, use didn't them. need it. So that's why we started recording. That's what we've always done in the past. Yeah. We run out of time, or you, 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 you've got some spare time. You just, well, just record it's something. Record an album. So no, that wasn't the magic oh, whip. That was a long, long, long right, time okay. later. But uh, we did do some more recording, and uh, so that meant when we did this warm-up tour, we were able to release something, and you know, kind of. Was it under the West Way? Or did that come a little bit later? One of those, uh, one of those tracks. I think maybe it was one of the West Way actually. But you know, the, I'm the worst person for knowing what we did and in what order <laughs> and in what year, what songs were on what albums. No, the magic, magic work was much later. So that was we were on. This was like the third tour we'd done since then. Because each time we were, we went, oh, that's good. Well, let's not do that again for a while. And then suddenly, this interesting idea would come along. So, and uh, and uh, that was when somebody had suggested, well, it's the Olympics in 2012. You'd want to close the close the party at the end of the Olympics, do you? Yes, of course <laughs> you bloody do. <laughs> that's <laughs> like one step. That's, that's the next like, step. 
that's like before the end of the sentence we'd signed on the dotted line <laughs> I mean. so uh, so then that spawned another tour and uh, we were just going show to show to show as you do and um, but because at the level we are and I think in general actually now most most touring is a festival touring in the summer so when you, you have to find something to do in the midweek times often you go home and crash out for a day and then get on the train crying, blah 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 but we were in Hong Kong and the next tour the next show the tour got cancelled and that was Tokyo Hong Kong is a bit too far so you know we had a week off but you can't by the time you've booked a flight got on there got home that's two days then you get a day at home then you've got to get back on a flight get back to Hong Kong which takes another two days so uh, that's you know you'd have one day off and all of that travelling so we thought well, we'll just stay in Hong Kong then and then it, it was again well what the hell are we going to do in Hong Kong <laughs> any ideas and then so happened there was this recording studio around the corner so James said, well, just go to that studio then muck around so we don't do anything what else are we going to do we you know we did a bit of touristy this and touristy that but uh, we'd all been to Hong Kong before it wasn't like it was a new experience for any of us so we so muck around in the studio then. and uh, yeah by the end of that it was like wow was <laughs> it was we used to be very very prolific and come up with tons and tons of stuff and we just fell back into that kind of prolific mode really quickly, coming up with loads and loads of ideas. And we had to end up with kind of something like 40 hours of recorded, no wow. something ridiculous of material that we had to <laughs> ship home in a massive truck. You know, I'm sure we digitised it. <laughs> I was going to say, does that, that's not still the case these days, is it? <laughs> no, it's a digital truck. Digital. And so, yeah, then it was a, then it was a, a job for the producer and... Uh, Graham volunteered to get involved, sifting through it all and turned it into some kind of some kind of order. And but it was uh, it was secret, so you kept it a m- massive secret, right, until until it actually came well, out. It well, that wasn't the idea. But why, it wasn't why, a secret why that we you? went into the studio. But no. when when it became clear that actually we were going to get a record out of that, which is mental because we were there less than a week. <laughs> You know, you don't make a record in it. It used to take us three months to make a record. It's all that experience, though, yeah. I think it was all that kind of pent-up enthusiasm for working with each other, you know. Yeah. And it, you get very blasé about the kind of magic that happens in a, when the chemistry's right, you know. Mm. But actually, it's like the most exciting times are the first ten minutes of the first rehearsal when you're going, well, Playhouse is really good, isn't it? <laughs> And then the, 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 first, like the first week of the <laughs> recording studio, yeah, because all of that kind of enthusiasm, and then you kind of relax into it, and then you're like, oh, Graham's done an effort, effortlessly amazing guitar solo. Oh, boring. Oh, God. Damon's words are just effortlessly brilliant. Oh, oh dull, you know. You fall back into that, taking it all for granted, maybe. But, uh, so you, yeah, didn't, you weren't allowed was, that time to, to actually do that? No, it was still exciting by the end of the week. It was still, you know, had we had another week, we would definitely stay, but you know, we just had to go off to the next show, so we didn't know it. So when, when was the last time you played together in any form? It was the end of that tour, so what was that? We, we played the the last show of that tour, was that two Christmases ago? I think maybe, we, it, was the, it was just before Christmas and it was the, it was the, normally we wouldn't do a show like this, it was the closing, 
closing the gig at the kind of closing party for the Grand Prix season, which was in the, was in the, I'm going to say Dubai, but it wasn't Dubai. <laughs> it was one of the other Emirates. You can't do that. <laughs> it was somewhere on that side of the world. It was. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was in the UEA. Anyway. There we go. <laughs> and. Uh, Normally, those kind of corporates, so you never know what you're going to get. So, yeah, we, by yeah. long experience, we've we've just turned those things down as a matter of course. So, we turned it down as a matter of course. Our head of security, somebody you don't piss off, then immediately laid into us because Grand Prix racing is his thing. And this was uh, oh, like, yeah, okay. They were they'd offered us as part of the deal kind of free tickets to the Grand Prix like pit lane tour. And you know, every time we said no, and another thing, and another thing. So by the end, there was this, if you're interested in motor racing, this sort of magical kind of backstage package, you know, and, as, and as well as being paid to and, do this show. And he wanted to do it, so he was, it was going. His birth, Come on. It was his 50th birthday that year. He said, honestly, I will kill the lot of you if you say <laughs> no to this. And he's easily capable with his little finger of killing all four of us simultaneously. So, so he caved. And he says something like that, caved, all caved, yeah. immediately. Yes, yes, okay. no, no, of course, yes. No. When I said no, I meant yes. <laughs> so, so when was that then? That, that was, was that three, three. Chris, that was three years ago, was it? Oh, so quite a while, quite a while. Yeah, but uh, not in the grand scheme of things, not particularly, because we'd been touring really for three years up until that point. Yeah. Yeah, because what with the, uh, what with the album and all of that, and David had put, what David had wanted to do was do two, two Gorilla Nuts albums and a Good Band the Queen album, and he put both of those aside very nicely. He kind of uh, shelved those projects um, while he, uh, while he uh, got involved with us again. And we, you know, we all had lots of things we wanted to do. Alex wanted to change the way his festival worked and kind of find some new partners to do all of that with, so he put all of that on hold. You know, Graham was wanted to relaunch his his uh, solo career or something else he thought that but, but worth it to put it on hold and um, do you, yeah. but do you are, are you guys planning to get back to not get back together to do another tour or another record is, is any is anything like that in the pipeline or is it there's no plans there's never any plans never any plans <laughs> <laughs> it'll happen when it happens <laughs> I say the, the the focus now for Blur is on us being the friends that we always ought to have been you know we were right at the start, so that's the that's the main focus of everything. I think fans should be, should be happy with with that, even if there's never going to be any music. You know, just to know the safer than the the knowledge that you guys are all happy happy together should be fine. But I'm right. They, they won't be though. No, of course they won't. But I'm trying to make. I'm trying to help you out here. I completely see. I completely get it. But that you know, things don't go on the way as they were forever no. thing change is the natural order of things yeah. and uh, you know what we've done we've, we've taken a band that uh, was pretty you know I would have a lot of us would have put odds on nothing ever happening ever again we never took that decision but when we got to the end of the uh, think tank album and we did a, we toured that and by the end it was like mm, we all said okay well you know Early, early next year we'll get back in the studio yeah, yeah, and then yeah. nobody made that phone call to anybody else because no. it was like mm, it's alright but without Graham it's not really Blur yeah do we want to be in a band that's not really Blur it was a good album the tour was good but it wasn't a Blur album yeah 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 probably wise so, to do that and let it let it run its course and obviously you know it yeah. works out well in the end doesn't it yeah 
So you don't, you can't just have, bands just don't go on forever in the same way they did. You can't just do the right record tour, right record tour thing for your entire life. You just can't do it. You'd go insane. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not, it's a, it's a young man's game. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, you can't do that. But um, I think there's probably a good time to, to start. We've been chatting for ages. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Pleasure. That was really fun and really interesting. And um, thanks for coming down today. Um, and who knows what's going to happen in the future. Um, but yeah, thank you. And uh, see, you, see you soon. <laughs> Very nice to see you. So well done, Sarah. I think that was um, a really kind of insightful uh, chat with, with Dave there. It was. I loved it. And it felt really easy and kind of natural to talk through it slightly surreal in some stages because I'd had to kind of go back and think about young Sarah enjoying Blur's music and then all of a sudden I'm just kind of sat here interviewing someone about that um, I used to get that enemy at times especially with not not say with the newer artists but when it was someone that you'd grown up watching and listening to mm-hmm. I always still had that kind of um, that moment where the person who'd only ever really been 2D to me before yeah. or on a stage miles away was suddenly in 3D and I was interacting with it. It was like they'd stepped out of the magazine yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit like that, isn't it? It is. And also because I, I, I've been, I've kind of been surrounded by musicians and, and people as a friend for so for so long. So then suddenly to kind of put a different hat on and it was quite, if I'm really honest, a bit awkward before I started doing because I thought, oh no, well, you know, I've got to really think about, it's not just I'm talking to a friend here, it's I'm actually mm. wanting to get information out that's going to be interesting for the listeners. So just a different, just a different way of doing it for me um but i think it went well so what is so what's the hat then is it a top hat compared to the beret that you normally wear <laughs> i don't like berets i do you know what? i haven't got a hat head <laughs> so any hat, Your head's too big. any hat no my head's really small but i've got a lot of hair so it makes my head look big see i have the opposite problem i can't get hats to fit i have oh, you've I, got me. You've got i have to put me. when i have a baseball cap I have to put it on the very largest setting, and even then, it, it, it oh, still squeezes. Oh, you're kidding! Yeah. No, I mean, uh, let's do a hat selfie at some point because yours, we probably both don't suit hats. No, no probably, I don't have a hat head anyway. Not some of the listeners ever no, no. So I thought it was interesting in that chat, and you know, you were saying to me before you went along to interview Dave that you didn't want to necessarily go into the Oasis versus Blur stuff that obviously is a huge part of their history, mm. but you kind of feel, and and I, and I think you were kind of right on this, that it would be kind of been done to death. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd had it written down beforehand when I was doing my, my prep for the chat, and I thought, I don't actually, unless it comes up and unless he starts to talk about it, I'm not going to go there, because every single interview I've ever kind of watched or listened to, uh, regardless of whether I'm actively you know doing any research or not it's always blur versus oasis you know what do Mm. people think about it and i think this podcast for me and i'm sure it is the same for you is he wanted to kind of do something a little bit different um and i think he mentioned one thing and another thing he mentioned in there as well which is quite interesting was we started talking about producers and he went you know i'm not going to bore you with all those details because no one wants to hear that and i thought him saying that was a really kind of hit the mark of what i've been thinking all along about what this podcast is and it's more about kind of stories and and emotions and how things make people feel and you know the, the the that kind of side of it rather than kind of really nerdy facts and things like that so i don't think people care about that anymore people know how they feel about it but i know I, I think you need a blend of it so sorry to say that to a fact man he's going to argue his point now but i don't think people necessarily there's probably two different audiences that we're, we're speaking to on this podcast and it's some people who are like oh yeah but you know i really want to know all the facts 
but then there are some people who are like I don't really care about that I just want to know like what they got up to when they got drunk that night and how they felt about it and but I think I think that's why this podcast could be quite you know because we are still quite early in our run this this is going to be an interesting clash of styles from our point of view I think because you're never going to go in with a fact-based interview yours is always going to be about memories and stories yep. and anecdotes and I'm never going to switch off the journalist in me and nope. that I'm going in thinking can I get them to say something that they don't want to say or, or that maybe that they haven't said anywhere else and then we may, you know, that, that, that we may have an interesting story on our hands. Not that this is a breaking news podcast or anything like that, but it's always nice to get a little bit of an experience. Yeah, I don't disagree I don't disagree with that at all. And I guess we'll we always have we always have a chat before I I'd go into an interview anyway. And I've got a different way of trying to get that out. <laughs> so I've got a different way of phrasing and asking things and, and leading into things that I kind of, I'm not going to pressure anybody. I'm not going to make someone say something they don't want to. I don't like the whole, it's not my style of making someone feel uncomfortable. And that's how I've always written my blog and it's how I've always kind of conducted myself in work as well. And it's always the opposite of how I operate as a music journalist. Yeah, to be but, you know, that's why this podcast can be quite interesting. But anyway, I think we've digressed massively there. I think a good place to kind of finish this on because this came right at the end of the interview and I think um, certainly from a ex-journalist point of view <laughs> was the most interesting bit was where you did ask Dave whether Blur might come back obviously they they re- last reunited in 2015 for the, the sort of Magic Whip tour they haven't as a band done anything since and you did you did to say you're not a, you know you say you're not a journalist you did steam in there with that as your kind of final question as to kind of what you know whether there's a chance of them getting back together what do you think, think I, of his, his I think comments? I had to ask it twice as well oh yeah you hear me <laughs> I, 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 I think I think you underplay. You're, you know, you're Maybe. kind of April O'Neil. Yeah. Um, Do you know what funny is? Funny enough, as well, that um, a lot of people in my life say I'm direct. So I don't know how I'm, <laughs> how I'm trying to like position myself as not direct. But um, I so we I had a panic when when I sent this to you, or you sent it to me actually. You transcribed the last bit and sent me a, a bit highlighted that says bands just don't go on forever in the same way they did you don't you can't just record tour record tour for your entire life you just can't do it it's a young man's game and you said brilliant Sarah that basically means they never get back together they're breaking up and I said oh no 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 no. we can't go out and say that because I don't think that's how we said it I think he was just you know it's the end of an interview it was a throwaway comment I think he's probably a little bit we're both a little bit tired (laughs) he's probably thinking it in that sense I don't think anyone should or could or should read into that statement I think every the overarching theme that I got from the whole interview and the whole chat was that they're good mates they're putting mates before you know that that's the most mates before music mates but well I I was going to say that but I think it's they they know how exciting (laughs) they know how important it is for those lot to be friends they don't want to lose each other and I think they they put that at, at the most important part of it. I think that's the overarching kind of theme to take away from that. It doesn't mean they're never going to do anything again, and I think they probably will. I think what he said was kind of in line what Damon said recently when he was interviewed as part of the Good, the Bad and the Queens kind of promotional tour where he said, you know, it's never a, it's ne- never say never. Alex James said something similar last year. However, I think a good place to maybe to conclude on this is to remember that as uh, around the same time you were doing this interview last week, Damon and Graham Coxon were on stage performing song two at a Gorillaz gig uh, overseas. I can't remember where the gig even was now, somewhere like Puerto Rico or whatever. And um, and you know the the you know they are the fulcrum of Blur. I know that we said that there's four personalities, but ultimately the reason Blur got back together in the first place was because Damon and Graham buried the hatchet. So you know maybe that door is is still a little bit ajar given that they're they're still playing blur songs so maybe we can't give up complete hope that we may see a kind of triumphant reunion again yep i i agree let's let's cross our fingers 
toes, So eyes. fingers, fingers crossed for that. <laughs> so I think, yeah, we've covered a load of ground in this. I can, I would be very surprised if we don't return to Blur in, in a future episode. You consider this side A, I'm sure there'll be a, a side B further down the line. And actually, when I was digging through some of my old interview um, tapes, I have got an interview with Damon Albarn from about... 2011 2012 um but that's not something i think we necessarily would fit well with this podcast here or this episode around the emergence of the band so one that we may uh we may put out further down the line if you guys want to hear it let us know i mean we yeah. may, we, we, know. you know we want this to be a two-way conversation if that's something that you blur fans would want to hear um I'm sure you could twist my arm into putting an episode <laughs> together with that on. So. And on that, if you do want to get in touch, um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at DemotapesPod. Uh, you can also email us at DemotapesPod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find our personal Instagram and Twitters through the, through, the, through the podcast ones as well if you wanted to see what we're up to on a daily basis. Selfies and stuff. Selfies that I don't understand, yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to say as well, you know, we're now on um, iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify and Audio Boom. So if you have, if this is the first time you've heard us and you want to hear more on, we've got a couple of episodes on Arctic Monkeys, Glass Vegas, Azealia Banks, um, and New Rave, which is kind of a personal favourite of, of Sarah's, then they're all in the archive. Do go back and have a listen um, to those. And something that's really important for us, if, you, if you're if you on iTunes, is uh, if you could leave us a five-star rating, if you think it's five-star, of course, that really, really helps us. Um, we want to spread the message and get this out to as many people as possible. So thanks in advance for that if you do happen to do that. Otherwise, I think all that's left to say is uh, thanks for listening, uh, and we'll see you again next time. See ya.